You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, midweek debrief number 47. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. This is coming to you a little bit later than normal. Not a Wednesday, but a Friday. I had surgery this past Monday to have a kidney stone removed from my ureter and had to get another kidney stent put in because the stone was around eight millimeters and did some damage to the ureter. And as such, if the urologist did not put a kidney stent in, replacing the old kidney stent, uh, my ureter would have swollen shut and I would have been in some real trouble. However, the medicine that was given to me to help with the pain and discomfort uh, of my ureter and urethra and the irritation from the surgery turns out to have had a negative side effect. It made me disoriented and caused me to lose feeling in my extremities so that I landed in bed for two days and was unable to function. But once my wife and I figured out the source of the disorientation and numbness, I spent most of yesterday detoxifying my kidney, trying to flush the medicine out of my system so that today, anyways, I am semi-functional and I think able to form a semi-coherent thought. So I thought, since I'm sitting here at my desk, staring at the snowstorm, I would give it a whirl. And so today, I wanted to talk about pleasure, tyranny, propaganda, because in this time that we live in, these dark times, as of January 15th, 2021, America, at least, has become a convenience store, writ large. Anything that is convenient is good. Anything that is inconvenient is usually judged to be bad. As a consequence, if we can scroll down on our phones and eat our food out of a box and be distracted by mindless entertainment, so long as that's convenient, we are more than willing to give up our freedoms, to give up our identity, to compromise with those who control the mechanisms of thought and information in our society. But we didn't get here overnight. It took generations. It took more than a century, actually. So today I wanted to dive into this and meditate upon it, ruminate on it with you and see where we go. Goethe, who was a German author, poet, Goethe wrote that none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. That there is nobody who is more hopelessly enslaved than the person who thinks that he is free. That was 200 years ago that Goethe wrote those words. People today, though, still assume that we live in a free society because we live in the West. We are not like the old Soviet Union. We are not like the Chinese communist regime. We are not like people who live in North Korea or Iran or some other authoritarian dictatorship. 
the United States is not a dystopian hellscape, like George Orwell wrote and described in 1984. That is something that could never happen in the United States, land of the free, home of the brave. But you, when you look at Great Britain, Scotland and Ireland, Canada, Australia and New Zealand, that's exactly what has happened there. It's drastic, it's blatant, it's explicit. And yet here in the United States, because it is not as drastic in the same way, people are able to lie to themselves and to say, it's not like 1984. This is not like George Orwell or Aldous Huxley. This is not like the gulags that Alexander Solzhenitsyn describes in his book. This is not a putsch. This is not a political coup. This is not a dystopian hell. Because that could never happen here. And those of us who call it out and point at it are accused of being conspiracy theorists, wingnuts, extremists. Because the truth is inconvenient. Tyranny, most people believe, must be overt. It must be blatant, explicit, like I said. It has to be obvious. Anybody would recognize tyranny if it came to America. But is that really true? Could we live in a society described by Aldous Huxley in Brave New World? Could it be that when tyranny came here, notice the past tense, when tyranny takes root, it will come under the, the disguise, under the cover of new technology, new drugs, pornography, online pornography in particular, and other diversions that are pleasing to us, that satisfy our cravings. They come to us in such a way that it is convenient for us to consume them, not recognizing that we are being consumed by technology, by drugs, by online pornography, by other pleasures, because we are distracted. We have become so distracted as a society, in my opinion, that we are too distracted to notice the chains that bind us. Those chains that we willingly took upon ourselves were presented to us as new technology, new and better drugs, new and easier ways to engage our cravings, our lusts. Brave New World was published in 1931. And when Huxley wrote the novel, he did not actually think that this dystopian world he described was an imminent threat. It wasn't on the horizon. And yet 30 years later, after the Second World War, after the spread of totalitarianism, after all of the great innovations of science and technology, Huxley changed his thesis. And in 1961, he wrote, he wrote this. There will be, in the next generation or so, a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies so that people will in fact have their liberties taken away from them. But 
will rather enjoy it because they will be distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda or brainwashing, or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be the final revolution. Aldous Huxley, Tavistock Group, California Medical School, 1961. I think I've spoken about it here before. My 14-year-old daughter is the only one in her circle of friends who is not on antidepressants, who is not a cutter, who does not engage in, in suicidal ideation. My daughter is also the only one in her peer group who has a stable family, who has a two-parent family for the most part. And even those friends of hers who have a two-parent family, they are disconnected from their parents. They do not have a home so much as they have a house that all of them dwell in. They are without benevolent parents. They are without human interaction now because of COVID. And they have been so dehumanized by technology, by drugs, by these methods of delivery that are designed to satisfy our every craving and desire within 24 hours and sometimes even within hours. They have become desensitized, dehumanized. And having become dehumanized because they engage in disembodied relationships on social media and the internet, because they do not know how to interact with each other in person, even if they are allowed to because of COVID guidelines, they are empty. There are so many people that I encounter in church and outside the church who appear to me to be soulless now. They are neither living nor dead. They are simply existing. Everything that they consume is garbage. It's junk. Junk food from the TV. Junk food from the refrigerator. Junk food from their relationships and work. Everything that goes into their body and their mind and their soul is junk. And therefore, nothing comes out except more junk. They are slaves to a dictatorship that they will not shed tears over because they live in a painless, well, relatively painless concentration camp. And they cannot be woken up. They cannot be liberated from this camp because all of their friends, family, and neighbors live there with them. And so they do not desire liberty, but more slavery. But this is the twist. Freedom is offered to them through new technology, through drugs, through online pornography, through all of these pleasurable diversions that enslave them to their appetites under the guise of more choices, therefore more freedom. That's why they enjoy their slavery, because they are distracted. And the propaganda and the brainwashing that comes at them from every corner, it induces in them a state that they begin to panic whenever it is taken from them or when someone threatens to take it from them. Imagine yourself or someone you know being told that they do not need their drug prescriptions to live a sane and healthy life. Instead, they need to move 
They need to leave their environment. They need to change the way that they eat, what they drink, how they sleep. They need to change all of their relationships. They need to change their job. They need to strive to establish homeostasis, to put their body back in relationship to nature as God intended, and to stop polluting themselves through their eyes, through their nose, through their ears, and through their mouth. Imagine suggesting to someone that the best cure for depression is what I just talked about, and not a pill. Even those who hate being on a pill for their depression, most often or not, will rebel against the suggestion, and they will tell you, you don't know what you're talking about. This is real depression. This is real clinical depression. I have a chemical imbalance that brings on these bouts. And I would say, I don't doubt that. But have you ever asked yourself what induces this chemical imbalance? Have you ever asked yourself if possibly it is not just a part of your environment, but your whole environment that has induced this state? That the reason that your brain fails to produce certain chemicals or produces too many of other chemicals, the reason that your body cannot reach a state of equilibrium, of homeostasis, is because of your choices, because you choose to be enslaved to the things that make you depressed, that have induced this chemical imbalance, and that by removing yourself, by making a radical change in all of your environment, you could possibly treat yourself one requires immense personal effort. It requires immense effort and discipline to change your habits, to change your relationships, to change your occupation, to change where you live and how you live. The other only requires you to keep taking the pill. Well, after generations of propaganda and brainwashing, which one do you think they're going to choose? The United States is one of the only countries in the world that allows pharmaceutical companies to target consumers in such a way that over 90% of online advertising is for drugs. <laughs> it's for chemicals that alter your mind-body state. And yet, simultaneously, psilocybin, DMT, Ibogaine, marijuana, LSD, mescaline. These are Schedule One drugs. Why is that? Well, because they're organic in their natural state and they can't be mass produced. They can't be regulated by pharmaceutical companies. And therefore, the pharmaceutical companies tell the middle management in Congress and the Senate, you need to declare these a, a, state, a, a level one drug. These are a, a stage one drug. They have no medicinal benefits whatsoever. Not because they don't have any medicinal benefits, but because they have no economic benefits for the pharmaceutical companies. And then the pharmaceutical companies and the middle managers in the Congress and the Senate, they go to the Secretary of Education and say, we need a campaign. All public schools, all elementary schools, we need a campaign to teach children, to brainwash them into believing that these drugs are bad and these drugs are good. Bad people use these drugs. Good people use these drugs. And for generations, we've swallowed the lie, going all the way back 
to William Randolph Hearst and how he manipulated politics, the media, and society into believing that cannabis was evil. Go watch Reefer Madness on YouTube. It's free. That is a direct consequence of the meddling of William Randolph Hearst, who owned millions of acres of forests that he used, obviously, for his papers, his newspapers. And when a gin was invented that made harvesting hemp easier, faster, and more economical, it threatened his business. And therefore, he destroyed it. And the way in which he destroyed it is to declare that all hemp, all cannabis, is morally evil and will lead to criminal behavior, murder, rape, thievery. Again, go watch Reefer Madness, and you'll understand. Generations of brainwashing, generations of indoctrination. That's why Huxley, in 1961, astutely noted that in the future, the ruling class would control us, the population, the plebes, not through a use of force. That will just foment revolution. Instead, the ruling classes, the elites, as we call them today, will engage in a more covert method of drowning us and enslaving us, not through force, but rather through an endless supply of pleasurable diversions. America is a convenience store. America is a society that is designed by people that design casinos in Las Vegas. That's all that we are now as a society. The Las Vegas Strip. Row after row, block after block of distractions. Pleasurable diversions. In A Brave New World, Huxley explains this. In 1984, the lust for power is satisfied by inflicting pain in Brave New World, it is by inflicting a hardly less humiliating pleasure. Actually, that was Brave New World Revisited, my bad. Listen to that, though. In Orwell's future, the lust for power, the ruling class, the elite, will inflict pain upon the population in order to enslave them through an explicit use of force. But in Brave New World, Huxley looks at that and says, I don't think that's correct. I think in the future... It will not be the infliction of, play, of pain. It will be the infliction of pleasure. Humiliating, degrading, dehumanizing pleasure. And that is exactly what social media is, in my opinion. It is dehumanizing pleasure. It is people humiliating themselves to get likes. That's how pleasure deprives us of freedom. We are being conditioned. It's called operant conditioning. And operant conditioning is used to modify a person's behavior. Think of Pavlov's dogs. Every time they hear a bell ring, they start to salivate. Think of you picking up your phone and absentmindedly flicking open Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. You don't even think about it. As an experiment this past week, I deleted the apps from my phone and my tablet so that I can't open Instagram from my phone or my tablet. I have to go on my laptop, which is in my office at church and not at home. On Wednesday night, I opened my phone too many times to count without even thinking about it. 
In the same way that I used to smoke cigarettes, I did the same with my phone. I flicked open my phone. I flicked over to the left. I opened a file. I clicked the app and it opened to shortcuts because my Instagram app is no longer in that file folder. And I kept doing it. Even after I knew what I was doing, I kept doing it because it wasn't even a conscious choice to do it. Operant conditioning that I volunteered for in 2010, 2012, when I got onto social media. I volunteered for slavery. I chose slavery. And even though I try and break out of that mindset by deleting the apps, by deleting my Facebook account, it doesn't matter. I'll just go find a different social media platform. But what really is the benefit of social media other than if you're in business? What is the benefit of social media to connect with other people? But how are you connecting with other people? Do you get to shake their hand? Do you get to hug them? Do you get to roll around on the mats and train with them? Do you get to sit and have a meal with them and share a laugh? We've actually exchanged true communication for virtual communication. We even use the word virtual, which means not real. And we do it without irony. We've exchanged real flesh and blood relationships and interpersonal relationships for online relationships, disembodied, dehumanizing relationships. We were not made to be disembodied organisms. We were not made to make each other lesser than. Quite the opposite. And what social media has tricked us into doing is to eradicate ourselves as human beings. That's why when you go on social media, it is so easy for people to dehumanize each other and threaten each other, to call for people to be put into re-education camps or just killed. Why? Because the people that you're addressing aren't real to you. They're abstract. They don't exist in real life. You've never met them in real life. You've never had to stand in an elevator with them in real life. And therefore, you can call for their death. You can call for their torture and suffering. You can call for their destruction because it's not real to you until it's too late and it becomes real. But at root, you have been conditioned to not think of other people as human beings, but simply as a picture or a video on your phone or on your tablet. B.F. Skinner, speaking of operant conditioning, Skinner performed a, a very famous set of experiments, and, and what he did is he tested different methods of introducing new behaviors to rats. And these experiments brought to light how you can condition humans to love slavery. And the way he does it is this way. In one of his, his sets of experiments, Skinner attempts to cultivate new behavior through positive reinforcement. So what he did was, anytime a rat did something that Skinner wanted the rat to do, which brought about a desirable conclusion, the rat was rewarded. But then in another set of experiments, he did the opposite. He wanted to weaken or eliminate certain behaviors with punishment. So instead of rewarding the behavior and giving the rat a pleasurable outcome. Instead, the rat received a painful stimuli. When the rat performed a behavior that Skinner wanted to eliminate from the rat's behavior set. And what Skinner discovered from these experiments is this, that punishment 
temporarily stopped the behaviors, but it didn't remove the rat's motivation to go back and repeat those behaviors in the future. So Skinner wrote that punished behavior is likely to reappear after the punitive consequences are withdrawn. Behaviors that were conditioned through positive reinforcement, though, had a, an enduring long-term effect and actually changed the rat's behavior permanently. Now, Huxley was actually familiar with Skinner's experiments. And Huxley took Skinner's experiments with rats and operant conditioning and applied them to sociopolitical, to the sociopolitical realm because he recognized, I think there's some real-world consequences for this, for this rat experiment here. So what Huxley does in Brave New World is he predicts the emergence of a controlling oligarchy, as he calls it, who would conduct the same kinds of experiments, but not on rats. They do it on human beings in order to make us more docile and minimize our potential for rebellion and civil unrest. Because Skinner and Huxley both understood something, the, the social ramifications of the experiments. But unlike Huxley, Skinner believed that operant conditioning could be used by society, by social engineers for the greater good, which would lead to a scientific utopia, which is where we find ourselves today. That there are many acolytes of Skinner who, whether they're familiar with Skinner or not, believe that the only way for us to save the world from overpopulation or climate change or running out of food or disease is through establishing and developing or developing and establishing a scientific, a scientifically managed utopia. So this now is from Skinner's book. It's called Walden Two, Walden One being Henry David Thoreau. He writes, now that we know how positive reinforcement works and why negative reinforcement doesn't, we can be more deliberate and hence more successful in our cultural design we can achieve a sort of control under which the controlled nevertheless feel free. They are doing what they want to do, not what they are forced to do. That's the source of the tremendous power of positive reinforcement, that there's no restraint, there's no revolt. By a careful design, we control not the final behavior, but the inclination to behave, the motives, the desires, the wishes. The curious thing is that in that case, the question of freedom never arises. When you satisfy someone's desires, when you provide positive reinforcement for those desires, they will never question whether or not they are free. The question will never come up. In Brave New World, then, the main reward that brought about slavery and subservience via positive reinforcement was a drug. It was a super drug called Soma. The world controllers, writes Huxley, encouraged the systematic drugging of their own citizens for the benefit of the state. Soma was ingested every day by the citizens of Brave New World. It offered them what he calls a holiday from reality. And depending on the dosage, it stimulated feelings of euphoria, pleasant hallucinations, or act as a powerful sleep aid. Let me repeat that. Soma gave people a feeling of euphoria. They felt really good about themselves. 
It gave them pleasant hallucinations, and it acted as a powerful sleep aid. It also served to heighten suggestibility and thus increase the effectiveness of the propaganda which the citizens were continuously subjected to. In Brave New World Revisited, this is what Huxley writes, In Brave New World, the Soma habit was not a private vice, it was a political institution. The daily Soma ration was an insurance against personal maladjustment, social unrest, and the spread of subversive ideas. Religion, Karl Marx declared, is the opium of the people. In the Brave New World, the situation was reversed. Opium, or rather Soma, was the people's religion. I want to laugh out loud at that paragraph, but I want to break down in tears too. I want to laugh at the absurdity of that paragraph and how it's become a reality today, which is also why I want to cry about it. It actually hurts, hurts me deeply to read this because he wrote this so long ago and we didn't listen. One of the great pains that I experience is the fact that I have dedicated so much of my life to studying history, recognizing trends, patterns in history, recognizing two weeks after the lockdown last year where this was all headed, calling it out, citing sources both present and past, and no one would listen. And those who listened were few. And they weren't listened to either by their peers and the people around them. And now that we are neck deep in a brave new world, the new normal, by the way, might as well just call it brave new world. It's the same thing. People still refuse to believe what their eyes show them, what their ears hear. They refuse to listen to their gut. Why? Because they have their God. They have their religion. It's Soma. It is the new normal, the brave new world that the pharmaceutical companies have created for us. And so we are anesthetized by drugs. And then that is reinforced. That operant conditioning is delivered to us through social media, through corporate media, through peer pressure as a consequence, so that all of our ideas about unrest, about rebellion, about standing up and saying no more to the pharmaceutical companies, to big tech, to corporate media, to the political goliaths, we are looked at as the crazy ones. We are subversives. We need to be re-educated. We need our dosage upped. As I said in a previous episode, when I was in the hospitals, plural, they could not wait to push pain meds on me, even though I told them I'm a drug addict, an opioid drug addict specifically. My drugs of choice were Percocet, Vicodin, Downers, Oxy, so what do they offer me? Oxycodone, Vicodin. Why? 
because it'll make you feel better. We settled, we compromised on Delauded. Guess what Delauded did to me? And which is why after a day of being on it, or two days of being on it, I said no more. What did Delauded do to me? It gave me feelings of euphoria. It allowed me to sleep better. I saw pleasurable hallucinations when I closed my eyes and when I opened my eyes. Delauded gave me what Soma offered the people in A Brave New World. It offered me a holiday from the reality of the pain that I was experiencing in my body and being separated from my family on Christmas. As a drug addict, I know how easy it is to slide back into that old pair of pants and and that old suit. And as soon as I got that first hit of Dilaudid through my IV and I experienced feelings of euphoria and I started to see these pleasant hallucinations and I was able to sleep soundly, I immediately recognized what was happening to me. And I heard the demon start to whisper in my ear again. See? See what you've been missing? It's not that bad, is it? All this time talking about the evils of drugs. All this time talking about how they're demonic and how there's a spiritual power hiding behind the drugs. You fooled yourself. You allowed other people to indoctrinate you into their false religiosity of sobriety and recovery. There's nothing wrong with the lauded. You don't feel pain anymore. You're able to relax and sleep. You're able to meditate and pray. And it's not hurting. It's not going to hurt you. And as soon as I had that thought, I told the nurse, give me Tylenol. I'll ride the pain out because I'm not going back there again. I'm not going to lose everything that I've worked for the past 20 plus years just so that I can get another hit of Soma. But in today's world, that makes me a subversive. That makes me an unperson, to quote 1984, because I actually want to fight against instant gratification and access to my every desire or craving. I don't want to be distracted from reality. I don't want to flee pain and hardship. I don't want to buy in to the lie that family must be abolished because it's a cultural artifact. I refuse to believe in the lie that there is no God. I refuse to believe, and I will fight back against the attempts to strip me of personal responsibility and choice. Because as painful and as messy as freedom is, It is better than Soma. It is better than being drugged into subservience. One in six Americans today are on some form of psychotropic drug. One in six out of 350 plus million people in America alone are on a psychotropic drug. And yet we're taught growing up that drugs are bad. Are you shitting me? Do you know how many dare forums 
that I sat through when I was in elementary and junior high? Do you know how many police and mothers whose children were killed by drugs came and spoke to my school when I was in elementary school and junior high and high school and told me how bad drugs are? Only to realize in college that one in six people is on a psychotropic drug? In the late 90s and early 2000s, how many people do you know became opioid drug addicts or died from opiates? because of over-prescriptions. Over and was anybody held accountable? No. Up until very recently, not a single drug company was fined or hauled into court. Even though they knew, according to their own internal documents, which they kept from us, they knew what this was doing to people. They knew they were creating millions upon millions of drug addicts. They knew they were killing people. They knew they were destroying our society, but they did not care because they were making a profit. One in six people today is on some form of psychotropic drug. And that is considered normal. You can watch online pornography for free whenever you feel like it. And yet, how many people do you know are now addicted to pornography? Or just even more baseline, how many people, including myself, are addicted to their smartphones. Addicted to mindless, pleasurable distractions that consume a majority of your day. America is a convenience store. And we have been drugged into believing that convenience is the highest moral good. Diversions are pushed upon us and we consume them because they make us feel good. They call it supply and demand economics. But when you create the demand, when you create the crisis, is it really supply and demand? It's that Hegelian dialectic I've talked about. Create a crisis. Say there's a crisis. Say there's a shortage of toilet paper and water. And people hear that, and because they're mindless drones, they run out and buy up all the water and toilet paper, which creates an actual crisis to which then those who said there's a crisis can point and go, see, we told you, there's a crisis. Just like the potato famine in Ireland. Just like toilet paper and water with COVID. The ruling elites, the ruling class, these pharmaceutical companies, corporate media and big tech, they create a crisis narrative and they tell it to us and say, there's a crisis. And then we run out and we buy up all the guns and we buy up all the bullets. And then they point and say, see, there's a shortage of bullets. There's a shortage of guns. Create the narrative and then allow the mindless sheeple to fulfill it for you, to manifest it in reality for you so that you can then point it and say, see, told you. See, told you. Here's the solution though. We have the solution. Create a panic narrative, let the people create the panic, and then offer them a solution to the panic. That's reality today. Give me my food out of a box or a bag. Give me my entertainment instantaneously. But don't bother me with responsibility, especially responsibility for my personal freedom. We don't hear give me liberty or give me death anymore. 
because freedom will not prevail anymore. Instead, as long as people trade their freedom for pleasure and comfort, as as long as they allow themselves to be socially conditioned like rats, then we will continue to take Soma. We will continue to be manipulated and enslaved. We will continue to remain a society that places the highest moral value on the fulfillment of personal pleasure and cravings. We will remain happy slaves. We will relinquish what makes us human, which is freedom to choose. This is what Frederick Douglass, a former slave, wrote in the mid-19th century. I have found that to make a contented slave, it is necessary to make a thoughtless slave. He must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right and that he can be brought to that only when he ceases to be a man. The only way for people to exist in comfortable slavery is for them to cease to be human, which is exactly what the pharmaceutical companies and big tech and the corporate media and politicians are doing. It's what social justice movements are doing. It's what all the useful idiots are doing currently in our society. They are running around making contented slaves. They are running around indoctrinating and brainwashing people into believing that their slavery is right and good. And as a consequence, the people who accept their slavery cease to be human. They are neither living nor dead. They are simply existing like those in Brave New World who took their Soma every day. And there is only one answer that I see right now at present to slavery, which is push back, disconnect, unplug, become a social outcast or at least a social media outcast. Stand up and fight. Push back. Flush your pills down the toilet. Do what you have to do to get clean and sober in your mind, in your body, and in your soul. Read. Do your own research. Read books on how to think so that you can think for yourself. Learn, read books that teach you how to learn so that you can learn for yourself. Read books by people who teach you how to ask questions so that you can question everything. Learn the history of dissidents. People like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Aldous Huxley, George Orwell. Read Jordan Peterson. Read Alan Watts. Read Frederick Douglass. Read Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver. Read the people who saw through the bullshit and the lies and said, I refuse to be a contented slave anymore because I refuse to be thoughtless. I refuse to live in the inconsistencies of slavery. I refuse to not be a man. Remember the placards from the Civil Rights Movement. Black men marching down the street wearing poster boards that said, I am a man. Because for hundreds of years, 
they were taught that they weren't fully human. They were dehumanized in order to make them into contented slaves. And finally they stood up and said, I am a man. It's time again to do that today. Our society is divided not because of different worldviews, but because of different understandings of humanity. There are two sides in our society. One side has no use for humanity and seeks to dehumanize us. The other side says the most important thing is our humanity and we've lost it and we must recover it. This isn't a political argument. It's not even a philosophical argument. It's a basic argument about our own humanity, our God-given humanity. We have become contented slaves, and it is past time for us all to point out the inconsistencies, to think for ourselves, to question everything, to stand up and say, this is not right. I am a man. I am a woman. And I will not have my humanity stripped from me by these drugs. I will not have my freedom to choose taken from me by these people, by this system, by this ideology, by this theology. God made me and gave me freedom of choice. God made me a man. God made me a woman. This is my vocation. This is what I have been given to do. And I will not have it taken from me because of diversions and pleasures and distractions that dehumanize me. I refuse to take your psychotropic drugs. I will not allow you to engineer my identity for me. I will no longer be a part of your state-sanctioned entertainment. I will never, no longer allow myself to be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. I am a man. I have dignity. I have value. I have been imbued by my creator with certain freedoms. I don't care if you consider me maladjusted. I don't care if I stir up social unrest. I don't care if it's subversive. I don't care if I bug you because you know what, Jack? I mean to bug you. There is a dark side to pleasure. Because as I started off by saying, in the words of Goethe, there is nobody more hopelessly enslaved than the person who falsely believes that they are free. And the way that that has come to us today is through technology and drugs and pornography and other pleasurable diversions. It's far past time we throw off the chains of our enslavement and take responsibility for ourselves again and to love each other. To treat each other as human beings, to look each other in the eyes, to shake each other's hand, to hug each other, to kiss each other, to sit with each other to notice the chains that bind us and to tear them off each other's arms and legs. That's what I'm thinking about today. I hope that helped. 
I hope that got you thinking. Go check out Skinner. Go check out Huxley. Definitely go check out Frederick Douglass. Go check out Goethe. See what I'm talking about. Don't just read A Brave New World, but read um, Brave New World Revisited by Huxley. There's a lot there to read, a lot there that's important. But keep fighting. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Stand your ground. I'm here. We'll talk to you again on Sunday, God willing. See you later, weirdos. Peace.